Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, this is Simon Brew. I'm the editor of Film Stories magazine, and a very warm welcome to a special episode of the Film Stories podcast. Sorry about that. Uh... I literally had to fly in from outer space. Come with me. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. In movies. Movies that had stories. That the story just sucks them in. This is just the beginning. Stories. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and a very warm welcome to Film Stories with Simon Brew. I am Simon Brew, it's all you need to know about me. The aim of the podcast though is, well, the title gives it away, doesn't it? I'm here to talk of the stories of film and I tend to talk about development stories, production stories, behind the scenes stories, marketing stories, release stories, all the bits and bobs really that go to make the films that we know and love just that, the, the films that we know and well, sometimes love. The films I tend to choose for this podcast are a mainstream leaning more than anything else. They're films that I'm interested in as well. I'm not interested in punching down and snark and stuff like that. There's lots of that around. And then occasionally what I do is I, I have a special episode, which you just happen to have landed on. And in special episodes, I bring on a filmmaker who's associated with a film that I want to talk about. And we have a bit of a chunter about it. Pretty much as simple as that. Now, for this particular episode, I have a, a, my first ever returning guest i have producer jason blum who you're going to be hearing my conversation with him shortly but the purpose of this conversation is primarily focused on 2020's the craft legacy the follow-up to 1996's the craft and it is just about still a follow-up so just to set the scene a little bit before we go into that chat, um, The Craft, um, which I remember going and seeing uh, at my local cinema back in 1996 in Southport. They used to have a bargain movie night. Um, it, it, a bit too much info. And I, I walked away pleasantly impressed by it. And the movie, which which wasn't a huge box office hit, uh, directed by Andrew Fleming, nonetheless gradually built its audience. In fact, when I saw it again, uh, I, I, I was more taken with it. I never disliked it in the first place to be clear. But what was clear with the craft was even though it didn't have masses of box office and necessarily franchises coming out of its ears it had an audience to whom it meant an awful lot and continues to mean an awful lot to this day that that audience has built over time. And it's labelled really as a cult hit the craft but I think it's a little bit more than that I th- I think and I, I don't think cult hit is a derogatory term in any sense I just think the affection for the craft is slightly bigger than it's sometimes given credit for um, Sony, the studio behind it, uh, certainly took notice of this in the end. And so uh, the, the first signs that another craft movie was going to come uh, come along, because it was always envisaged as a one-off, was in 2010. So what's that? 14 years after the release of the original film. So in 2010, there was talk at that point about a straight-to-DVD sequel for the craft. Now, to put that into some degree of context, the mid-2000s, early 2000s more than anything really, were 
boom time for the DVD market. I think DVD sales peaked in 2005, 2006, something like that. And it was pretty much a license to to print money for lots of movie studios. Sony, for one, um, there are lots of stories about how it was able to greenlight really risky films at the cinema because it knew the DVD revenue would make it up if the box office uh, if the box office tills didn't necessarily go a chingin. In the case of the Craft DVD sequel, it arrived just as this market was on the downside. So you might remember that lots of studios decided to take advantage of their of their back catalogue of movies and do straight to DVD spin-offs and sequels. Disney obviously pioneered this with um, Aladdin: The Return of Jafar, which turned into a huge video hit. But also Universal was great at pillaging it with the numerous American Pie Presents spin-offs. Sony had done it with Cruel Intentions. A couple of those came out, even though Cruel Intentions 2 was originally going to be uh, was originally set to be something different than what we ultimately got. It wasn't designed to be a movie. Uh, the Skulls, remember that? I mean, all sorts of these, uh, all, all sorts of films that you wouldn't necessarily think had, had always got the legs to sustain as many sequels as, the, as some of them got. Uh, well, they got them. The DVD box sets were on the shelves of HMV back when there were lots of HMVs and it was a very different time. So when Sony was investigating doing another craft, uh, the, the bottom was starting to fall out of that. Streaming really hadn't picked up the slack and so the straight-to-DVD sequel of the craft died a quiet death and in fact it's really hard to find reference to it online anymore but I, I mean I was writing at Den of Geek at the time. I remember writing the story up of it happening but lots of these stories uh, uh, seem to have sunk offline now. Fast forward then to the spring of 2015 and what do you know, the craft was back on the schedule. Now this was at a point where Sony was looking at relaunching Ghostbusters, was looking at relaunching Flatliners, there were talks of a, a, a Charlie's Angels film as well and so it was raiding its back catalogue for possible movies and at this point it made a smart hire that it brought in uh, Lee Janiak who'd uh, put the film Honeymoon together uh, she's an up and coming at that point horror director and she was hired by Sony to write and direct the new The Craft movie, uh, co-written with her writing partner Phil Grazia Dai. And the idea then was to focus a movie on female empowerment and the project just looked like it was going to press ahead at that point. One thing I remember from reporting on that one was when it was clear this was going to be a theatrical sequel, stroke reboot, stroke reimagining, whatever it was, um, the, the fan backlash was very big. Now, Again, at this stage, social media had come to a point where if if social media didn't like the sound of something you were doing, social media had a real habit of letting you know. And spoilers, chums, it still has a habit of doing that. This project, too, fizzled out a bit. It kind of helped that neither Ghostbusters nor Flatliners did the box office business that Sony was looking for. And so then the story moves to March of 2019. So we're, what, 18 months from when this podcast is being re uh, recorded. And at that point, a call had gone in to Jason Blum, which he's about to tell us about. And this time, Zoe Lister-Jones was hired to write and direct a new film of The Craft, which is called The Craft Legacy. And at the point of this podcast going out, has just been released in cinemas in the UK and has gone straight to digital release in the US. So this film stars Kayleigh Spaney, uh, Gideon Adlan, Lovey Simone, Zoe Luna. You get uh, some bonus David Duchovny uh, and Michelle Monaghan for your money too. 
And this ensemble, uh, along with primarily female crew, pressed ahead and started shooting the movie in October of 2019. It shot uh, in and around the Toronto area in Canada. And then it was all set for cinema release in 2020 until 2020 happened. And as a consequence, plans were ripped up and it's not in every territory that the film is getting a cinema release. But that roughly brings the story to where we are now. As such, this is the point where I bring in my special guest. I connected with him via one of those posh Zoom call things that I'm slowly getting used to. Um, I've tried to provide a little bit of a description of the luxurious surroundings in which he he found himself. He was sat in front of a window, in front of a garden, really. I hate to just just de-glamorise that a little bit. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play you a clip from the trailer of of the Craft Legacy and then we'll go straight into the conversation with Jason Blum, the other side of this. Now, Blum is the producer of the film as well as an abundance of other movies i've tried to squeeze in as many as possible into the conversation and uh, i'll start waffling here's the clip okay all right let's do this i know it feels fast but it's nice isn't it to have a family unit come on in to meet the boys they're really excited to meet you how you feeling about school? You can meet some new friends. I know why the cage bird sings. Um, wow, that is super nasty. Oh. All right, enough. Settle down. That then was a clip from The Craft Legacy. I'm delighted to be joined on this podcast for the second time, the first person ever to appear on it twice, uh, by the producer of the film and the emperor of Blumhouse himself, Jason Blum. So, hello, how are you? Hello, it's a great pleasure to be on not once but twice. Thank you for having me again. I know, your rating's gold. I couldn't wait to get you back. I, I kind of I, see we're, we're recording this on Zoom now, and I know for people listening to our podcast, this kind of goes a bit behind the curtain. But I had an I kind of had a vision of what your desk and your office would be, and I kind of thought that it might have a big red phone on it that glowed or something like that. I mean, what a, a, it's a total disappointment. I'm so sorry. I, I mean, I don't I, wish to be in a dungeon. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, your, your garden looks very good. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to be British and impolite. Yeah. But I kind, of, I, I kind of hoped you'd have some kind of bat phone that when a studio was in trouble uh, with one of its franchises, um, that, that the phone started glowing and you kind of leapt into, act- leapt I, into action. I do have a secret line. It's called, it's called a help, help, help my movie line. And uh, I keep it, I keep it hidden, that phone, but it is connected. All the studio heads have my number, help my movie. And, uh, and lately it's been ringing quite often. They're very nervous. So uh, did you ever watch the the British version of Thunderbirds where all the pictures were lined up on the wall and the eyes started glowing when different movie heads would want to talk to you? No, but that sounds right. So that's like my, that's my day-to-day existence. Is that right? So when, when did, the, when did, how do I put that? I mean, this, this question has gone quite surreal, hasn't it? When did the Sony eyes started glowing around your wall that uh, the craft was going to be on your slate? I did get to a question in the end. You did, you did, you did. Now, Sony, uh, we, we, this is our second movie with Sony. We did, uh, we did, um, we did Fantasy Island with them, which yes. I personally thought was a great movie. It, it performed okay. You know, it didn't perform great. It performed. Oh, sorry, that's my knee there for your listeners. It didn't perform yes. great. Um, it performed okay. So you know, they, the back phone rang, and I felt like you know, I, 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 I wish I lived up a little bit more to the to the reputation. 
but uh, but but uh, the craft is our is our second uh, our second effort, and um, I'm very pleased with it. Now I've already forgotten your question. I was just talking about the Sony part. How did it come up? I said to Sony, I would love to um, take a shot at uh, at reimagining the craft, and would you let me run with it? And they were kind enough to to let me do so. And so, so the suggestion for this one came from you, yes, rather than that. Okay, so because I, I remember when this, when word in, I think it was two thousand sixteen, word first popped up that the craft was um, back on the slate as a possible reboot, and I remember the size of the backlash, um, and 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 it wasn't on the small side on this one. Oh. And I kind of think with with the best will in the world, when you announce, say, you're doing a Halloween film. People have got used to there being a string of Halloween films where the quality with the best will in the world kind of goes up and down a bit. And I really like Halloween films. So, um, yeah. But with The Craft, it's one movie that means an awful lot to a segment of the audience. And I'm curious if that influences your decision and if that does have any kind of play in your head. Well, look, if too many fans are not happy, that doesn't, that means that's bad because the movie's not going to work. I, I assumed that when we said we were going to take another crack at The Craft, a lot of people would be upset. It kind of goes with the territory, but yeah. then you know, then then it's kind of fun because the expect they're all out to get you and hate you, and the expectation is where it is. Hopefully, some of them, some of them may just be so angry they won't even see the movie, but some of them will see the movie and they'll uh, they'll uh, they'll be pleasantly surprised. But yes, of course, you take that into account. You know, I don't. You know, I don't know. I have mixed. I have mixed emotions about that. I think in. in one way like if you love the original movie so much then don't see the next version of it in another way you know i understand some people think things are so good that you can't can't do more with it like like you know people always talk about the sequel to get out and yeah. i think like if you made a sequel to get out would it lessen the kind of amazing patina that's on get out like would it make Get out yeah. not as cool if there was a get out too, and you know, maybe, maybe it would, you know, maybe it would take away from how great a movie that was. Is that my exclusive? Is it going to be called like get in or something like that? No, 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 no. We're not doing it. I'm saying you're using it as an example. No, I know that, but I'm just trying to skew it in that kind of in internet-y way. I've seen how the world works now. Yeah. Tell me about it. Every time I do an interview, I'm making 40 movies. I, you brought I've it never up. heard of it. <laughs> I didn't bring it up. You brought it up. Um, the reason I ask in terms of fan reaction is because you're one of the you're one of the few producers of, of people who does fr uh, some franchise movies where you've been open about that. That you talked in the past, for instance, about the response to the Paranormal Activity sequels and how they kind of shaped um, shaped how that franchise went. So th there was some degree of context to the question for a change. I wasn't just oh. like coming up with glowing eyes on the wall again, but I can I do that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, in, in that sense, and I know, know what you're talking about, I don't ignore the fans. You know, we yeah. look at what the fans, we look at individually, it's not, I don't look, but if the same thing keeps coming up over and over and over again, yeah, yeah, we take that into account when we, when we tell our stories, you know. So, I, I mean, the, 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 with this particular one, I, I mean, full disclosure, I didn't go in with massive expectations on it. Um, well, are we supposed to play the junket game where I tell you that? Not I've at all. Been a... Yeah, OK. I'm, I'm not tell, me your thought. tell me your thoughts. Well, it's it's really special, actually, isn't it? Oh, um, that you've got because um, what, what I, I mean, you've got a writer, director in Zoe Lister-Jones who is having a really intelligent conversation in the clothes of a craft movie. 
yeah. but the stuff she talks about, particularly in the first hour of the film, yeah. um, I think it's going to be really special to an awful lot of people. Oh, and good. so, I mean, my question inevitably segues to her about where, uh, what you know, what was her pitch, and and who went to who went to who where. Um, she. You know, I, you know, I, it's illegal to say we were only going to hire a woman to direct the movie, but I, I felt that it, a woman could potentially do a better job than a man directing the yeah. new incarnation of the craft. Uh, we talked to we talked to a handful of people, and look, I, I don't remember. I don't know if she came to us or we came to her. I don't remember. Kuko Samuelson, who kind of runs the movie company, would would know the answer to that question. But what I do remember is she she. She and Cooper worked for a while on this pitch, and then yeah. she pitched the version of the movie that you very close to the version of the movie that you saw. And I've always said it's one of the best pitches I've ever heard. I actually wanted to record her pitching it, so when yeah. so when younger people said, "What's a pitch? What should a perfect pitch be?" I would show them this tape of her. But um, you know, that has partially to do with the fact. I mean, as it was a great pitch, it was a great story, and I really, I really liked it. She's also an actress. So yes, well, she, she was able to animate it. And that was the first, I heard it and she left the room. There was a group of producers and we were like, we're done. This is who we're making the movie with. And, you know, she had a, she, she I, I liked, really liked her as a, as a partner. She was tough. We had a series of tough conversations, um, mostly tough because I was hitting her with bad news. You know, okay. and she took it, she took it, not bad news about, um, you know, not specifically bad news about things I didn't like in the movie, but like this location didn't work or we weren't going to get this actor or this dream thing that she wants, I can't give her. And she took those, she handled those conversations very well. She, and, um, and she had a really, you know, strong point of view and she also listened to our ideas and she took some of them, but not, not all of them. And, um, and I really liked working with her and I'd work with her again. So when you're working with a director who's making their di directorial debut, because I, I, I remember um, back back at the start of, of, of the film Empire that you've built up, you were very Los Angeles contained with the, the and, and you talked about how, you know, you, you set up a way that people could be home to for dinner and things like that and things. Were, but then on The Invisible Man, you went to some luxury house that you quite fancied buying on completely the other side of the planet. And I'm curious when, um, I, I mean, first of all, did you buy? that obviously um but also when you're working with a new director is it your inclination just to keep it a little bit close to home and put uh, and be able to afford a fuller support network doing this interview makes me so sad that it's fucking on covid i mean it's just like i, I wish i was in i wish we were doing this like in person i mean it's so much more fun isn't it i mean it's fun well I, I, i'm just outside I, your house actually. I, 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 I miss i miss you i mean this is, this is so annoying um <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, when we first started, you know, I, I still am reluctant to work with first time directors on our thea big theatrical movies like this yeah. one going to be before COVID. We work with them a ton in streaming on TV, our Welcome to the Blumhouse, yeah, I've been um, our Hulu Into the Dark series with a ton of first time directors. We broke our rule with Zoe mostly because her pitch and her vision about this was so compelling. She also had a lot of experience on set, not necessarily as a director, but she had a lot of experience. It wasn't like working with, you know, someone who was new to everything. Um, and um, and it's true, when I started, we, we shot in California all the time. And we did that because, um, 
no one, there was a real, there was, no one was shooting, there was much less shooting and no one was shooting in, in, in California. The streamers, you know, they wrecked all that. So, so we, don't, we don't get to shoot at home as much as we want to anymore, um, which is, uh, you know, which is disappointing, but it is what it is. It's a, it's a totally different time. When we started, there was just not a lot of production period. So you, if you stayed at home, you'd get amazing people uh, yeah. if they could sleep in their own bed. And now it's so busy that um, no one, you know, it doesn't, it, there's not a lot of benefits to staying, staying in California for, for us anymore. It, is the inclination still there to explore, um, because you've got quite a track record with this, explore actor directors? Because I mean, I, I always thought the gift was extraordinary. I know you've yeah. got BJ Novak doing a film for you now. Yeah, I, I, like, I, like, after working, I was going to say, after working with Joel on, on the gift, I've, 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 I've always pitched uh, actors on directing. I think, I, think, I think actors make great directors. Um, yeah. And uh, and so, like you said, we're doing one with BJ. We have this with Zoe, and uh, and I'm I'm always um, um, hopeful talking to. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm try, I was trying to get Naomi Watts to direct something. Um, I'm always hopeful to try and get a get an actor to uh, to direct. Gerard Butler, get him. He'd be a great director. Yeah, get him to direct his own action film because that would just be bliss for me. I know this is just like kind of personal wish fulfillment, really. Well, but sure. you know, if you're after a list, why not? <laughs> um, you've become the mainstream, and I, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of any other big movie I've seen this year that I prefer to The Invisible Man. Now, I'm not going to uh, like blow smoke or anything like that. I mean, there okay. haven't been any other big movies this year. Did you, that like, sort did, of you see, did you see The Hunt? Did you like The Hunt? I did like The Hunt as well. Yeah, um, right. But The Invisible Man was the one that, re that, that really popped for me. I thought that right. was terrific. Um, but I, I wonder, once, you're, once you've become the mainstream, because, you, you, I mean, you skated around the edges of Hollywood particularly well by doing things in a way that Hollywood wasn't doing, not just financially, but also just in terms of the practicalities of it. But now you're, you, you are the big mainstream person for that. And I'm wondering, uh, with no, you know, if, if people now, with no disrespect to films like Tooth Fairy, which obviously remain classic, that's a brilliant um, film. Well, I know you're hugely fond of it, so I do try and bring it up every interview. But how, <laughs> does it? I mean, do, do, tell me about the reboot in your own time. That's not a problem. But right. do, do, do I mean, has it changed? Do people make you more of the, the the first port of call? And does it kind of change how close to the audience you can be when you are the mainstream figure? Yeah, it changes. You have to. I don't think the minute you can't you can't run a successful business come up with a model that works and say, we're just going to do this. You have to change. Yeah. Um, I think we chase more new material than we used to. We don't, we, you know, it, it used to be, you know, we were the, the last, like you kind of said, like the last stop. And, yeah. um, and um, we still identify movies that, we still do a lot of movies that other people haven't, you know, passed on and, you know, aren't interested in. But we also do a lot of movies now that are, that are, People come if they want to make a scary movie. We see them first now, and um, and a lot of those we do. Um, yeah. A lot of people kind of dipped into what we were doing in different ways, and so you know I've dipped into what they're doing in different ways. But fundamentally, and even the Invisible Man really holds true for this: this idea of doing on the movie side, TV side is different, but on the movie side, the notion of of we're going our fee up front. The director and the, the actors, were, we all forego our fees. We, we try and make movies that can be shot with for a relatively low amount of money. 
And we yeah. do that so we can make movies that, that are subversive or feel different or feel unusual. I think that's still kind of the DNA of the, the film company. And I think that still very much exists. If I'd, um, I, I mean, I'm deliberately kind of skating around the craft because I, I'm a great believer in a film like that should be as spoiler light as possible. And I'm just, I mean, if, if I can frame it like this, if people aren't talking about a film like that, because if I'd made something like The Gift, I'd be really irritated if people didn't bring that up in every interview. I'd want people to talk about that. Like Me too. But, but something like The Craft, this film, would I mean, would it just irk you a little bit if it didn't resonate, given that, it, I mean, it's PG-13 and talking about some really really important stuff I think I, I think it's I think it's disingenuous I don't I actually you know what I, I, I take that back you know I, I read Woody Allen's book and I think I believe that Woody Allen um, really and truly is able to make things and put them in the world and just move on yeah. but I think there I think if you're being honest with yourself I think there are very very few people who can really do that and I am certainly not one so I'm very ask anyone who works at the company, like my mood, I'm much happier when people like, we have this thing called Good Lord Bird now, uh, yeah. on television in North America that Ethan Hawke plays John Brown and people like it yeah. and it puts me in a good mood. And when we make something that people either don't see or they don't like, I get, I'm super bummed about it. So, I mean, I'm human and that's, 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 that's so sure. Like if people don't either, if a lot of people don't see the craft or if the people who see the craft don't like the movie, then I'll be disappointed. There was a Twitter thread that went round. Uh, this is my last question, so I might as well go for this one. There was a Twitter oh, thread that went round earlier this week um, asking if I challenge people if they had a billion dollars to build a theme park around anything they could, what would it be? So once I decided I couldn't really do Geostormland because that would just be very niche for me, um, I just thought I'd, do, I'd get you to do it because two reasons. Number one, I think you'd do it for 50 million and we could split the other nine. We could save million. the rest. Well, yeah, I think we could go and spend that on chips and, and, and drink and stuff like that. And that would exactly. be a lot of fun. Um, but also it did, get, it did kind of get me thinking about you've got this approach to storytelling in various mediums. You've expanded it to Welcome to the Blumhouse. And as much as I'd like a, a, a Blumhouse theme park or something like that, I'm just curious if you're, if you're ever tempted to expand the storytelling that you've built into further other mediums, something like video game or something like that. We've tried to do a video game for like three or four years, never could pull it off. Doesn't mean we still won't do it. We're still trying, we're still butting with it. We've tried a bunch of times. So the answer to that is yes. You know, we did many haunted houses. Yes, of course. We of did course. the Blumhouse, the, Blum, the famous Blumhouse of Horrors. Yes, uh, we've done a lot of haunted houses. Never, could never turn that into a business. It was always, it was, we, we always lost money doing it, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and so, 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 you know, I'm less interested now than I was two or three years ago. I always thought about that stuff more. Now I really like, I think like we make movies and we make TV shows. And if something yeah. like that comes up, I always think about it, but it's not, I, I, I wanted to do that more, you know, somehow a, a few years ago than I, than I do now. It's not something I actively pursue, but I always have my eyes. I'm always open to it. I wasted so, a lot of time pursuing like <laughs> other things. That, that um that uh that were fun to do but they weren't you know they they weren't terribly good for the business so i'm like 
So, so I'm basically walking away from this conversation now and we've not inked a lucrative business partnership and you're not doing a Tooth Fairy video game. And I, I feel I failed everyone listening. I wouldn't I'm, say that. Listen, if you want to give me a billion dollars to do a theme park, I'll drop everything I'm doing and I'll do it. All right. I'll, I'll just go and write a check now. Jason Blum, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Congratulations on the film and thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that was my conversation with me and my brand new business partner. You heard it here first, chums, Mr. Jason Blum. That brings me to the end of this special episode of the Film Stories podcast. You can find more of my witterings on Twitter at Simon Brew. You can find more from the entire Film Stories project at Film Stories Pod. Uh, website filmstories.co.uk where you can find the latest issues of our print magazine as well. They're now on sale. A new issue just coming in as we uh, as I'm recording this. We're on Facebook too. Facebook.com slash Film Stories Online. You'll find video exclusive uh, you, uh, Film Stories on YouTube at youtube.com slash Film Stories. The Craft Legacy is in cinemas now i think i've made that point um and with that i'll leave you in peace thank you as always for listening i'll be back soon with your regular episode of film stories you will take care and stay safe bye-bye